Hey everyone, it's good to see you. Thank you for joining us online today. If I haven't met you before, I'm Ben, I'm the community pastor here, and I just want to say happy school holidays to all of you who are students. Hope you're enjoying a bit more freedom, even though it's locked down, hope you're making the most of it. Now we're going to be spending some time in Psalm 121 today. It's a beautiful psalm, and I've chosen to use the CSB translation uh, for this message. So if you don't have that, that's okay, but I'd like it if you could open up your Bible, your paper Bible or your phone Bible, open it up to Psalm 121. That's where we'll be spending our time together. Now, I wonder if you guys have ever been to the Glasshouse Mountains, just a bit north of us before. I wonder if you've ever climbed any of the mountains there. There's a few different ones you've cl- you can climb, and I've climbed a number of them over the years. Now, there's some particular dangers associated with mountains. You know, you can slip on a loose rock. If you're climbing under other people, you've got to watch out that rocks don't come down and hit you. You've got to make sure you take your water bottle, something I forgot to do one time, and I drank all my friends' water bottles dry, and they complained that I drank all their water at the end, even though I maintain to this day that I had the least amount out of all of them. Anyway, there's all these different dangers associated with mountain climbing, right? And I remember actually quite a number of years ago, before Mishan and I were married or even dating, as a group of friends, we went and climbed Mount Biwa. Now, as you come up the steps to the face of the mountain, this is the most sort of the most difficult part of the mountain. It's just that first face. It's pretty steep, it's pretty smooth, and there's a few footholds that you can get to, to get up that first part. And then after that, it's basically just a hike. But most people don't mind too much getting up. It's coming down that's the big problem. People start to freak out. If you're at the top of it and you really did slip and fall, you'd really be in trouble. So people are a little bit scared in this moment. I remember many years ago, I was up on the mountain and there was a number of people down the bottom and Misham was making her way down this, this cliff face. She was looking for footholds, she was against the mountain and someone below her was giving her instructions and helping her to find her feet and I can remember her just sort of shaking, she was freaking out, right? And uh, one of the, I don't know why I'm taking so much enjoyment in this. Maybe I'm not a very good husband. But she was climbing down, and, uh, and she, as she's getting down, she's starting to freak out, and she's starting to slip a little bit. And all of a sudden, she just starfishes against the mountain, her face, everything, just scraping against the mountain. She's screaming. And lo and behold, just beneath her, all of the friends down there were just laughing. They're like, Michonne, you're only one meter from the ground. You can just jump off. It's okay. There's only a meter left to go, and she was just there just screaming, thinking she was about to fall to her death. Mountains can be treacherous. They can be scary places. And you know, the reason I share this with you is because the psalmist opens up saying, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? And they look at the mountains and they know that they're a treacherous place, that they hold particular dangers. And we're going to talk about what they are in just a moment. But, you know, the psalm doesn't just talk about the literal dangers of traveling through mountainous regions, but it's also a metaphor for life. It's a metaphor for the dangers every believer faces in life. In the journey of life, you are going to face some dangerous situations. You're going to feel at times like One slip will lead to certain death. You're going to be parched for water and unsure about where you'll get your next drink. And the question is, in these moments, who will you turn to? In the difficult parts of the journey of life, where does your help come from? 
Now, if you're not a Christian and you've joined us online today, I just want to say a really big welcome to you. We're glad that you're here. And I want you to think about where you run to for protection for a moment. What makes you feel secure? Is it money in the bank? Family? Maybe it's your health, good health? Those are all things that can actually be taken away in a moment. Job loss is normal. Sickness is normal. Death is inevitable. Now, I don't want to say that to just make you feel depressed. I'm saying that because I want you to really consider God today. We get an astounding picture of the help that he offers in Psalm 121. And he offers that help to you today in Jesus. And I want you to have that. And I would ask that you would consider that closely with us today. Now, if you are a Christian and you've joined us online, I also want you to think about where your help comes from. It might be easy to say the right answer in your head, oh, of course, it should be from God. But really be honest with yourself. When you come home from an exhausting and tiring and difficult day at work, where do you turn? When you're, when you're stressed about finances, about livelihood, who do you go to? What do you do when there's conflict in your life and there's tensions and there's stress involved? What do you do? Who do you turn to? God is offering all of us something so much better today. Life is a journey. We're all going to face some dangerous situations and we've got to ask ourselves, where will we go in those times? And this is exactly the question that our psalm answers. So let's jump in. There are two sections in our psalm. The first, we hear about a perilous pilgrimage. And in the second, we hear an elder's encouragement. Perilous pilgrimage and an elder's encouragement. All right, let's jump into verses 1 to 2 where we hear about a perilous pilgrimage. And our psalm opens up and it says at the very beginning, a song of a sense. A song of a sense. You see, our psalm is the second of 15 psalms, which are called Psalms of Ascent. They were used by Israelites on their yearly pilgrimages to Jerusalem. So they lived all around Israel. And in God's word, it actually commanded them that they had to go and observe three different feasts in the year at Jerusalem, at the temple. And so they travel in from Israel. And we're going to put a photo up on the screen right now. And you can see that right around Jerusalem, it's actually quite a mountainous region. So as they'd come towards this region, they'd see the mountains and they would use these psalm of ascents. They would sing them together amongst their traveling company. All right, let's go on. So it says, a song of ascents. I lift my eyes toward the mountains. Where will my help come from? You see, the writer is obviously feeling a bit anxious about what is before him. Now, explain some of the dangers of mountain climbing already, but traveling through mountains held its own dangers as well in ancient Israel. There were no paved roads or concrete paths. There were no street lights. There was no law enforcement. You could get attacked by a band of robbers. You could get ripped apart by wild beasts. Some of the pagans in that area, in the Canaanite area, actually believed that the mountains were where their gods resided. So they set up pagan shrines and temples and and, and things like that as well. This treacherous journey through the mountains is, 
is making the, the psalmist feel anxious. And it's also a metaphor for the journey of life of every believer. The New Testament actually talks about our lives like this, that actually this, this current world is not our home. We are pilgrims on a journey. We're foreigners to this world, and we're actually on a journey, on a pilgrimage to the new heaven and the new earth, the new creation that God is bringing. It talks a little bit about this in Hebrews 13, for example, where it says, For we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one to come. And in this journey, we will go through mountainous regions. We will face dangers. We will face health crises and pandemics. And we'll wonder when life will ever go back to normal. We will face economic downturns and recessions and we will fear for our livelihoods, for for our own and for our families. We will face a lifetime war with sin, facing temptation daily, temptation to, to greed, to be envious, to lust, to steal, to lie. So where do we look? Where do we look in this journey of life? Where does our help truly come from? Well, the writer answers his own question. He says in verse 2, My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now look at that word Lord for a second in your Bible. It's in capital letters, L-O-R-D. And, you know, this was written originally in Hebrew, and that's how we translate in our English versions the word Yahweh. This is a, a particular name for Israel's God, for our God, Yahweh. And and what this really signifies, what this really reminds uh, the Israelite of and should remind us of, is that this this helper, this is the one who has revealed himself as Yahweh to Moses. He's a covenanting God, so he's entered into a, a relationship with Israel. He's a faithful God. He's a personal God. So so as this psalmist is looking at the mountains, asking where his help comes from, he says, my help comes from Yahweh. My help comes from this God who who has entered into a relationship with me and my people. He's personal. He's faithful. He's never let us down. Then he says, he's the maker of heaven and earth. And that's the other side of the coin. We see this personal God and then we see this transcendent God, the maker of all things, who created everything out of nothing, created the oceans and the sun and the stars He created the mountains that we're scared of. He is over all things. He is all-powerful and able. And really those two pictures put together is a really comforting picture. You know, that phrase, the maker of heaven and earth, it only appears a few times in our Bibles, but it actually gets picked up later on. So as the early church began to summarize what they believed in creeds, the first most famous creed that we have is the Apostles' Creed. And it actually uses that language in the first line. We often recite it in our services. It says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And there's some beautiful commentary on these words in the Heidelberg Catechism. Now that sounds like a mouthful, but it's basically just a summary of the Christian faith in question and answer form. And I want you to hear how they explain it, because I think it explains verse 2 really well for us. So in question 26 of the Heidelberg Catechism, it says this, What do you believe when you say, when you recite the Apostles' Creed? What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, 
maker of heaven and earth. Here's the answer. That the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who of nothing made heaven and earth with all that in them is, who likewise upholds and governs the same by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father, in whom I so trust as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul. And further, that whatever evil he sends upon me in this veil of tears, he will turn to my good. For he is able to do it, being almighty God and willing also, being a faithful father. Beautiful words. I think they capture the sense of verse 2 really beautifully for us. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And now, as we progress into the psalm, another voice enters. You notice in verses 1 to 2, it's written in the first person. The psalmist talks about lifting my eyes. Where will my help come from? And then from verses 3 to 8, the language is, here's who your God is. Here's who the protector of Israel is. It's kind of like this young pilgrim is looking at the mountains, he's feeling anxious, and he encourages himself in verse 2. And then in verses 3 to 8, this elder pilgrim comes alongside them, someone who's wiser, someone who's lived longer, someone who's made these treks many more times. And they come along and they offer words of encouragement, and they build and build on this idea of Yahweh as their helper. And when I say they build and build, that's literally what the psalm does. You see, this is Hebrew poetry. And in this psalm, we have an example of what some people call staircase parallelism. So what's going on in the verses is there are parallel ideas that are being built up all the time. So in verse 1, the topic of help is introduced. Where will my help come from? And then it's built built on. My help comes from the Lord. Verse 3 talks about slumber. And then verse 4, it builds on that. So that's what happens. Verse 1 introduces and then it builds another step. And then verse 3 introduces a topic, and then it builds another step. And then verse 5 and verse 6. And that's what happens. This psalm actually builds up to a final crescendo. And as, this, as they ascend each step of the psalm, it builds into an inexhaustible and stunning picture of the protection that God provides. Let's hear the elder's encouragement in verses 3 to 8. This is what he says first of all. He says to this younger pilgrim, he will not allow your foot to slip. Your protector will not slumber. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. Now, when you're in the mountains, especially if you're traveling with children and the elderly, it's easy to slip and hurt yourself. And the elder is saying here, that won't happen apart from God's sovereign authority. He he won't even permit it. And then he gives this picture of Yahweh being the protector. He's like the watchman on night duty. In fact, the word behind protector, in your versions, it might be the word watch or keep. The word behind that is the Hebrew word shema, which means to protect, to keep guard, to watch. And shema appears six times in these verses. This is the central theme of the psalm. And what the elder really wants to get across to us is that Yahweh is the ultimate source of Shema. He is the ultimate protector. He is the ultimate watchman. He is the ultimate guardian and keeper of your life. 
and when we need to take some time to rest our weary bodies in our journeys, when it's night and it's dangerous and we need to lie down and sleep, the elder tells us that Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth, is our personal protector, our faithful guardian. You know, it's said that uh, once the Greek general Alexander the Great was asked how he can sleep so peacefully at night. And he responded by saying, well, Parmenio, my faithful servant, he keeps watch for me. He keeps watch for me. Alexander the Great, he, he, founded, he found peace in that. How much more when the maker of heaven and earth, when Yahweh is the one who is watching over you, he will neither slumber nor sleep. Verses 5 to 6, it goes on. And the elder says, the Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter right by your side. The sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. Surely as Queenslanders, we know how bad the sun is. Now imagine three times a year walking kilometers and kilometers and kilometers to meet with your church in the beating sun, especially in the summer sun. No sunscreen exists yet, hasn't been invented. There's no air con. You've just got to cover yourselves with clothes to try and keep the sun off you. You'd be at risk of sunstroke, dehydration, all those sorts of things. The sun can be perilous. But what's this about the moon striking you at night? Why is that a problem? Why is that scary? Well, it could just be referring to, to some of the dangers at night, you know, the, the things that lurk around at night, like robbers and wild beasts. But also around ancient Israel, the, the cultures around there actually believed that too much moonlight was bad for you that it could cause bad health for you and even drive you a little nuts. And actually, that, that seems to be part of English culture as well because that's where we get the l- word lunatic from. The word lunatic comes from the Latin word luna, which means moon. We've also got a phrase where you can become moonstruck. Too much darkness and not enough sun can actually drive you a little crazy. Now, whether that's real or not, the elder is saying that Yahweh will cover you from all these things, that the Lord is a shelter right by your side. He stays close to you. He shields you from the scorching heat. He protects you from all danger, whether real or imaginary. The Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter right by your side. The sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. Now, in the final steps of this psalm, in verses 7 to 8, the elder gives a stunning picture of the scope of God's protection. In the previous steps, he said, Yahweh won't sleep in the job. He's watching every step. He's watching you when you sleep. He says, Yahweh will stick so close to you, so close that you won't even be able to distinguish your shadow from his, that not even the sun or the moon will be able to strike you apart from his will. And now in the final step, he builds to his crescendo. He says that Yahweh will protect you from all harm, everywhere you go, forever. Verses 7 to 8, he says, The Lord will protect you from all harm. In Hebrew, that can also mean all evil. He will protect your life. The Lord will protect your coming and going, both now and forever. It's a stunning promise. All harm, both now and forever. It's amazing. 
such a comforting, such a confidence-boosting psalm. Now, maybe you think it's beautiful, but there's a nagging question in your mind. Look, great psalm, great words. I'm a Christian, but I've experienced a lot of harm. I feel like my foot has slipped so many times. I feel like the sun has struck me more than once, you know. Life has been difficult. So how on earth does this work? I can name hundreds of harms. How can, how can this psalm be true for me? And how can I put my trust in these words? Well, to answer this question, we need to put this psalm into context. Because this psalm doesn't stand by itself. It actually stands in an, enti- in an entire book of psalms. There are psalms in there of deep loss, psalms in there that express despair, psalms that express anger and the desire for justice. So this psalm is just one among many which express the entire range of human emotion. And they're meant to be known by us so that we can bring them out of our toolbox in those times and pray them to God. So that's one thing. But also there's another thing that's fairly interesting So I've said earlier that this psalm is the second psalm and 15 psalms of ascent. And scholars note that they seem to be grouped in in groups of three. So groups of three, there's 15 psalms, there's five groups of three. And our psalm, 121, is the second of 15. So it's the second in the first group of three. And what they've noted is that there seems to be a bit of a pattern. The first psalm in the group usually expresses the difficulty. The second psalm is usually filled with confidence in God. And then the third psalm focuses in on what it's like in Jerusalem and in the temple with the people of God. So if you apply that to our psalm, well, we read, first of all, the first psalm, 120. And it says actually at the end there, verses 6 and 7, it says, I have dwelt too long with those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. So it expresses difficulty. Then our psalm, Psalm 121, expresses confidence in God. And then in Psalm 122, it mentions Jerusalem at least three times just from looking at it now. Verse 2, verse 3, and verse 6. So they seem to follow this pattern. So if we put them into their proper context, it helps us to understand what the psalm truly means. If we take into account the context, we're protected from flattening out the psalm to say that God promises we will never experience difficulty or pain. I love what one scholar on the psalm says. His last name is Estes. And he says, Psalm 121 affirms that those who are in relationship with the Lord are safe in his care. Their mountains may be great, but their maker is greater. Their problems may be overwhelming, but his protection is ever available. I think he gets the balance perfectly with this. Their hurts are inevitable, but his help is inexhaustible. I think that's the right balance. Eugene Peterson, he's written a book on the Psalms of Ascent and he deals with this issue in his book, book as well. He says that Psalm 121 in its proper context does not promise that we will never stub our toe. Rather, he says it teaches us that, and I quote, no injury, no illness, no accident, no distress will have evil power over us. That is, we'll be able to separate us from God's purposes in us. And you might go, okay, I can see that in the context. But what then are we supposed to expect as followers of Jesus? What does life look like for us? Well, I'm going to quote from Eugene Peterson at length now. And this is what he says. I think he puts it beautifully. 
He says, the Christian life is not a quiet escape to a garden where we can walk and talk uninterruptedly with our Lord, nor a fantasy trip to a heavenly city where we can compare blue ribbons and gold medals with others who have made it to the winner's circle. The Christian life is going to God. In going to God, Christians travel the same ground that everyone else walks on, breathe the same air, drink the same water, shop in the same stores, read the same newspapers, are citizens under the same government, pay the same prices for grocery and fuel, fear the same dangers, are subject to the same pressures, get the same distresses, are buried in the same ground. The difference is that each step we walk, each breath we breathe, we know we are preserved by God. We know we are accompanied by God. We know we are ruled by God. And therefore, no matter what doubts we endure or what accidents we experience, the Lord will preserve us from evil. He will keep our life. Beautifully put. Now you might say, okay, I can see in the context of the Bible that you know, God doesn't promise us a carefree life without any troubles. But how can I really put my trust in this psalm? How can I really know that ultimately God will keep my life into eternity? That no matter what troubles, He would turn them for my good, that He will protect my soul and, and take me through to the end. How can I really put my faith in that and these promises in Psalm 121? And the answer is, you can trust this psalm because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. You see, Jesus was part of a faithful Israelite family. He was a Jew. And he grew up traveling to and from Jerusalem for these feasts three times a year as it was commanded. He would often come up to see these mountains. And, and we get an example, actually, of this in Luke 2, verse 41. It says, Every year his parents travel to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Now, it's almost certain that as a little boy that Jesus would have sung Psalm 121 with his traveling companions time and again as they went up for these feasts. He would have sung these beautiful words with those around him. But, you know, in his 30s, he set his face toward Jerusalem one last time. And maybe as he was making the trip there, Psalm 121 came into his mind and he knew that those words, those promises would not be kept for him this time. You see, he, he went to Jerusalem for the Passover feast as it was commanded. And he ate that final feast with his disciples. And as he left, one of his disciples went and betrayed him. And a mob came and got him and brought him before this false court. And they, they brought false allegations against him. They dressed him up as a king. They sentenced him to crucifixion. They beat him. They mocked him. They scorned him. They put nails in his hands and his feet. And he was crucified. You see, God allowed his foot to slip. God seemed to slumber, to be asleep. Even when Jesus was crying out on the cross in agony, my God, my God. God did not shelter him from sun or moon. God did not protect him from all harm. Why? So that as it says in verse 8, the Lord could protect your coming and going, both now and forever. You see, apart from the work of Jesus, we are under a curse. 
through our own sin and rebellion, especially that of Adam and Eve, the curse of sin and death came into power. It came into rule over our lives so that we want to run our own lives, be our own gods, and we end up harming ourselves and others when we live like that. And we live our entire lives under the fear of death, knowing that it is inevitable. But Jesus defeated these enemies at the cross. This is why he was forsaken by God. Jesus willingly chose to be forsaken by God. He willingly chose to be accursed to release us from the curse. He didn't deserve to be under the curse so that people who do deserve to be under the curse could be set free. This is what it says in Galatians 3 verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Do you understand what Jesus did for you? He gave up the promises of Psalm 121 to go to the cross so that he could secure the promises of Psalm 121 for you forever. That's what he did out of love for you. If your faith is in Jesus, you are not promised an easy life, but you are promised that nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. No tribulation, no distress, no persecution, no famine, no destitution, no war, no weapon, not even death will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He will be like a shelter right by your side, so close, and he will never let you be separated from his love, not even through that great enemy death. In the journey of life, you are going to face some dangerous situations. You're going to feel at times like a slip will lead to your death. You're going to be parched for water, unsure about where you'll get your next drink. Psalm 121 urges you and me to find our help in God. And the choice we have now is whether to accept Psalm 121 or to make up our own song. And my question for you to consider is, will you join the chorus of Psalm 121 and make this your own song? Make this your own prayer. You know, John Newton, he wrote the, the, the famous song, Amazing Grace. And as he was reflecting on his own life, he wrote the words, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Now, he's probably thinking of his own personal life. He used to be a slave trader at one stage before God worked in his life. Maybe he's thinking about that. And while those lyrics remain on a page, they were just lyrics that belonged to John Newton. But as people began to sing them, they actually took up those words. They made them their own. They identified with them and said, I too am a wretch that has been saved by the grace of God. And that's what I want to invite you to do with Psalm 121 this morning. Don't just leave them as lyrics on the page, but make them your own. Do you believe that your help comes from the Lord? That Jesus secured these promises for you? Whether you're a Christian or not, I want to invite you to take up this song to make it your own prayer today. If you believe it, 
I'm going to ask you just in a moment to read out these words aloud with me. Whether you're home with your family or you're by yourself, I want us to read these words together as an act of faith and to claim these promises as our own because of Jesus. Let's read Psalm 121 together. Verse 1. I lift my eyes toward the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. Your protector will not slumber. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. The Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter right by your side. The sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. The Lord will protect your coming and going, both now and forever. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we put our faith, we put our trust in you today. Lord, life is a journey. And there are mountains and there are valleys and there are difficult terrain and there are smooth pastures. And Lord, we really want to ask you to lead us in this journey. We really want to ask you to be our shelter right by our side, covering us. Lord, we really want to thank you for Jesus. Jesus, you're amazing. We, we really cannot fathom the love that must be in your heart for your people, that you would willingly become accursed so that we might be set free from the curse, so that Psalm 121 might become our own. Jesus, we put our trust in you today. We look to you for our help, our support. You are our protector, God. Please fill us up with your spirit and help us to walk in the peace that comes from knowing that you are the protector of our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we close, I just want to pray these words over you from Numbers chapter 6 as a blessing over you. Let me pray these over your life. Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 to 26. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. Amen.